Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. Welcome to the Outwork in America show. We have a great show today. We will be talking again about second chance hiring in the workplace for folks who've been impacted in, in the justice system. We love the topic, Trish. We've covered it only once before, I believe, but it was one of my favorite, absolute favorite shows of 2022. And I'm excited to talk about that topic again today. I am too, Steve. It's something too. Once we did that episode, we had so much strong feedback from organizations who hadn't really considered what at least that show we were calling second chance hiring Mm -hmm. as an option. And so I think that's really the point, right? We want to open people's ideas to creative ways to grow your workforce in a really positive, strong manner. And uh, yeah, this show will hopefully reinforce that. And we've got a great guest who's on the front lines of those efforts. Before we welcome him, Trish, I want to thank our friends at Paychex, of course. This episode of the At Work in America show is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. The only constant in business is change, and 2023 will be no exception. That's why hundreds of in-house compliance professionals at Paychex have compiled a list of regulatory issues that could impact businesses the most this year to help you prepare. In their guide, find out about federal and state regulations and programs that may affect your business and your employees in the coming year so you can take appropriate actions today. And you can visit paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A, paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A to check that out today. So thanks to them. All right, Trish, let's welcome our guest waiting patiently. We are happy to welcome today Aaron Smith. He's the founder of Escaping the Odds as an entrepreneur, podcast producer, and mentor Aaron contributes to the ever-changing narrative of the formerly incarcerated. He escaped the odds himself, and he seeks to empower anyone who desires to do the same. Welcome to the show. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you all for having me. I'm excited. It's great to see you. And uh, like as we said uh, at the top, we love the topic. We've covered it once before, and when Super excited to cover it again. I think before we get into it, Aaron, man, your backstory is incredible. Uh, Thank you. Sort of that led you to founding Escaping the Odds and all the work you're doing today. If you don't mind, can you share a little bit of it? What's sort of some of what's taken you to where you're at today? Yeah, I uh born and raised uh, south side of Chicago. I was the youngest of five children. Um, education was really valued in our household, despite being like the working poor. Uh, I knew that I would go off to college and get an education because that was like, I've heard all my life, that was the way out. Um, but also at the same time, on the other side of my door was drugs, gangs, violence, things of that nature. Um, close relatives were really involved in the streets. And so it made it easy for me. I had access to the streets. And, um, you know, I also had ambition as well. And so you mix those two together and it can be, you know, an explosion. So that's what happened with me. Uh, despite finishing college before I was in college and while I was in college, I I ran a heroin operation um, in Chicago. Unfortunately, um, bad decision. But yet at the same time, it led me to where I'm at now. Um, I always was an entrepreneur. I was just selling the wrong product. And so I now I switch hustles now. So now I have a trucking company where I hired a formerly incarcerated and also 
with the Escape in Oz media, just wanted to create a platform where I could help change the narrative by telling those stories of men and women who overcame um, their, their obstacles and, and now are successful beyond incarceration. You know, thank you for sharing that. Aaron, it's interesting. I'm I'm thinking like the first thing that you said that really just stuck with me was that access piece. Yeah. And also being someone who has ambition. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe that connection that that young young kids have, right? Regardless of where you live or what your socioeconomic background is or what color you are, right? how do we, how do we help that? Right. Because you were someone, you said you, you were told education was important, right? It's not just enough to tell someone Yeah, it's not just enough to have ambition, mm-hmm. but are there things, and maybe you'll get into this a little bit more of how can we give access to maybe mm-hmm. some different opportunities that would pull people away from maybe what you, what you fell into? Um, should yeah. we be focusing on that youth more? A- absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. Before, they end up in the system, all right, or end up on the streets. Uh, mentorship is key. Um, although I had an idea that education was the way out, I didn't really have anyone close to me that looked like me, sound like me, and was doing some of the things that I wanted to do or even can open up my mind to say, hey, look, you know, you can work on the Wall Street. You know, you can do this, you can do that. So I had to use my own imagination, uh, which was you know, again, I was ambitious, so I believe that that helped a bit. But it wasn't until I went to prison, ironically, that I had the opportunity to meet uh, men from all walks of life. And I was able to be uh, mentored by, you know, men that were on Wall Street and that were really successful in business, but they ran afoul of the law. And so I was like, wow, you know, if I would have met this person 10 years ago, maybe my life decisions would have changed because I would have met someone that, you know, pretty much gave me the idea that, hey, you know, if you like finance, if you like entrepreneurship, you can you could be an investment banker. Right? I never knew, even though I went to college, you know, I, I didn't know what an investment banker was. I didn't know that all those different things that, you know, that you have access to um, as it relates to um, just making better decisions or putting yourself and your family in a better situation from a financial standpoint. Yeah. Aaron, uh, one of the things we talked about the last time we covered this topic and was kind of eye opening for me, and I think would be eye opening again for folks who are maybe unfamiliar with this issue is the sheer enormity and scope and size of the, the individuals out there in the U in the U S who have been part of the in the justice system or had been formerly incarcerated. It's it's a significantly large number. And perhaps if you're not dealing with it regularly, or maybe it's mm-hmm. not impacted you personally or someone close to you, you may underestimate it. I'd love for you to comment a little bit about just the size and scope of, of this issue and, and why that makes it important. Yeah, um, absolutely. Due to just the way the laws are written in the United States, uh, that's a whole nother conversation but um it's easy to get wrapped up in the system um i believe there's about 70 million um individuals um throughout the the country at one point was involved in the system um now that doesn't mean that that was um, a felony conviction it could have been like a misdemeanor but nevertheless um those crimes or convictions or arrests led to some kind of a um, collateral consequence 
and that collateral consequences oftentimes related to employment, related to housing, uh, even like healthcare. And so mm-hmm. I don't think that society knows those things again, because if you're not dealing with it every day, it's just not in your sphere of um into your scope, right? So you don't yeah. you don't know that it exists, but it's absolutely uh more prevalent than, than most people would think. Yeah. One thing you said, Aaron, in terms of um handling kind of that that large population that's impacted by incarceration, right? Um, is around mentorship is key for them mm-hmm. to even see that there's maybe another way. One yes. of the things that one of the things that not only Steve and I talk about quite a bit, but just in business, I think there's a shift now to really focus on skills as opposed to a job title, right? So kind of in your example of, you know, you didn't even know you could be an investment banker, but as you're rattling off kind of the skills that you actually had, yeah, it would have made perfect sense, right? Absolutely. So I guess one thing is maybe the workforce is starting to change slowly in terms of the more we focus on skills people have, maybe those connections can happen better. But my question is going to be, you mentioned that you didn't have a mentor who looked like you. Mm -hmm. And my question around that is, I can see how that would be really valuable. But are there things that people who don't look like you could be doing Mm -hmm. to be at true allies, right? Not just someone who fills a hiring quota or tries to right we don't what we're not trying to do with this show is to say hey look here's just another way to fill some quota right what we're mm-hmm. trying to do is say here's a way to actually become a true mentor and a true connection for mm-hmm. a human being right so could you maybe give me your perspective on what if someone like me who looks different than you yeah um is that an acceptable mentor right to inspire a younger person or someone who's formerly incarcerated to use those great skills and bring it into my organization. Yes. How, uh, how totally. would you address someone like me? Yeah, totally. Um, as I mentioned earlier, most of the mentors that I, I met while I was incarcerated, uh, they didn't look like me, you mm-hmm. know, but nevertheless, they they had that that one word. They had that empathy. You know, they, they seen something in me. They said, wow, you know what? Um, you got the smarts to do it. You just didn't have, again, that, that A word, that access. And yeah. so um, that mentorship is key. And so I think it starts with that. Just um, like as you mentioned, it's not about filling a quote, although, you know, of course, it's business. So it's a part of, you know, just the way things go. But just taking it a little deeper than that, uh, even like the cultural uh, competency, you know, just like really, really meeting the person where they're at. And that, that's that's key. Um, and again, just just want to do it from out of your heart and saying, hey, you know, this person needs a, another chance, you know, or a better chance. Yeah. I think too, stepping aside, I learned in terms of just how to be an ally, right? It's being able to not just give someone opportunity, but, but seek people out to give opportunity, right? That you wouldn't normally seek out. And that's kind of working with the program you've started. That's it, right? It's, it's taking the extra step of, of presenting opportunities to people that might not even know where to look for those opportunities for work. Yes, that's true. Um, it's been great for me because I've become become like a living proof. So if a, a company can look at me, like I had a, a conversation with the CEO of a big trucking company, and he probably would not have had that conversation with me if he had not heard my story. Um, and that was the whole premise behind creating Escaping the Odds is that I wanted to change the narrative 
of not just my story, but men and women who are were caught up in a system so that yourself as being an HR professional, you can hear these stories and say, wow, you know, that's a that's a viable option. You know, this is a work, a, a, a pool of talent that's untapped and we need to tap into it. And as you mentioned earlier, working at the um, the manufacturing um, um, company back in the day, is that you're like, wow, these men have grit. These women have grit. They're some of the best workers because we have something to lose. We don't want to go back to incarceration. And so that's one of the big things. Yeah, we heard that a lot, Aaron, the last time we talked about this subject, the, some of those very specific points. And the thing also that I, you know, I spend some uh, time on myself is just looking at just what's happening right in, in our our labor market environment. And we're talking about as many as 70 million, if not more folks who have something in their record, right? Something in their background that whether it was a conviction, incarceration, arrest, whatever. The same time, right? We have 3.5%, I think it is unemployment, right? It's like a 50 year mm -hmm. low, 11 million open jobs in the United States, right? Lots of those and probably more than that even, right? lots of those types of jobs that would be actually really good fits for a lot of that people in that 70 million bucket. But yet we still have a disconnect. Like I thought about this a year ago or so when we talked about this, Trish, and I'm thinking about it uh, to today, Aaron, is what are some of the ways you mentioned the CEO, the, the big trucking company you talked yeah. to, right? If you're talking mm -hmm. to that person or other business leaders, CEOs, heads of HR, et cetera, what are some of the things you like to tell them, uh, to be more open or be more inclusive around uh, opening opportunities for folks in, in, in the formerly incarcerated population? What are some of the things you you like to say to them? Yeah, one of the main things I would convey is like, let's create a pipeline um, as you would for an individual who's in college, right? You have like internships to actually provide access and the know-how and get the person familiar with the way you do things at your company. And so that pipeline can be created through working with nonprofit organizations in those communities, right? That's impacted by the system or directly with uh, institutions or uh, prisons. You know, uh, right now, reentry is really, really uh, a big topic in um, a lot of the state uh, prisons. And coordinators at these prisons are, are great people to contact and reach out to and say, hey, you know, what are you guys working on over there? Like, what kind of programs are you are you guys instilling over there? Maybe our company, we can collaborate in that way. Or even reaching out to individuals such as myself who has a post mm -hmm. on this population and can really help guide them. I love those suggestions. And absolutely, if you're listening to this show, please <laughs> take note of those. Do all of those things. I think the other thing I learned really when I was really young and I was grateful for this lesson was just because someone has been arrested or even incarcerated for something, you don't write them off completely because now again, uh, this goes for regardless of race, age, gender, mm -hmm. right? Whatever. If someone has been arrested for a financial crime, you might not want to hire them immediately into another financial role, right? But but make it make it fit, right? You wouldn't eliminate them from all other jobs in the history of jobs, right? Because they did one crime that was related to that. So I think, you know, when I started working in HR, it was more around make sure that if you are trying to exclude someone, that there is reason. And what you find is there's usually not. There's usually not. Every job I was trying to fill, I could find someone both with or without former incarceration 
who had the right skills. So again, mm-hmm. it's focus on their skills instead of the crime, because yeah. the truth is with numbers like, you know, 70 million, 70 to a hundred million. I mean, that's what is it? It's as many as one in three Americans, any one of us yes, can be arrested at any time, yeah. right? For anything, quite honestly. And then it's the fallout from it, right? So yeah, I would just say, uh, make sure that you're really not eliminating people for something that's completely unrelated to the job you're trying to hire for. I, I like to think outside the box. And so as you mentioned, um, the skill sets, keeping that in mind and not the actual crime, you may want to think about the crime, right? In a in a positive light, like to switch that. Uh, there's countless stories out there where banks have hired someone who committed fraud on a high level to be able to come back in and hire them as consultant and say, Hey, what did we do wrong? Like what, like based on your experience and, you know, committing frauds against institutions like ours, how can we, um, how can you help us not have this happen again? And so if we think like that, there's an opportunity for everyone, right? It's a win-win across the board. So it may be it may be in the bank's best interest to to reach out to someone who's, you know, been convicted of a financial crime. Right. That can that can lend some insight that can kind of help them avoid that happening again to the institution. And so I I would definitely encourage that. I know it's outside the box, but nevertheless, Mm -hmm. at the end of the 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 day, it gets results. And that's what it's about. Yeah, we've seen that a lot in cybersecurity, very specifically, right? Yeah. In yeah. that industry, where the those uh, companies, tech companies, will go out and try to find hackers or mm-hmm. like kind of notorious black hat types of folks and try to convince them to, uh, I don't say come over to the corporate side, but if you will, but leverage their skills, right? And and there's some of those skills may have come with some baggage associated with them, right? In in terms of maybe some run-ins with uh, law enforcement, but. That's a great point, Aaron, right? Like if we're trying to be more open and more uh, improve access and be more inclusive and also just, uh, you know, again, we talked about this last time too, and we mentioned again, this is not just about kind of for companies, right? It's not just about kind of doing the right thing or being a good, uh, you know, community member or or, or or whatnot. It's really about filling filling roles that they need to fill with the kinds of people who can do a really good job for them who just may come from a little different place, come from a different background and maybe have one or two extra things uh, in their profiles that, you know, in the past, as you said, Trish would have been exclusionary criteria, which most companies that we talk to and that we see with very few exceptions, they really can't afford to be excluding more people from opportunity, right? Because they can't find people, enough people to do what they need done. Right. No, I think too, when, at least in my experience being in HR and hiring, it was sort of like also kind of dig in a little bit on what they were incarcerated for. Like what was the reason for it? Because again, we've, I've even been in positions where I've hired people with a violent background. Right. And it, it was, maybe they were in a very specific situation that escalated to that. And I don't want to say it wasn't their fault. They were involved right in some way, but in other words, just dig into the story of the human mm-hmm. more than more than the line on the background screening yeah. question. It right, like yeah, there's there's more to it. There's another side of the story, right? And so, I, and I'm, I'm I'm glad you said that because we have to look at the context of the situation. And I believe like when backgrounds normally come back, uh, I haven't had the chance to really look at other backgrounds outside of mine. 
but you mm-hmm. just see like a blurb. You just see one line. And so all, oftentimes it's easy for an HR professional just to kind of take that as face value and say, okay, that's, it is what it is, but you could be missing out on a, on, on a prime candidate. If you, as you stated, let's go a little bit deeper. So I would encourage, you know, people in position to do that very thing. I know it takes an extra step, but it could mean the difference of hiring, you know, someone who will be with your company for a long time opposed to um, not filling that role. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I hired, I remember hiring someone I was very young and, and he had a murder conviction and you know what? He had done his time and we talked about it and I put him out into a really good job. He was one of our best workers. Like even when I left the company, he was still there. So again, I think it's just, you have to talk to the person and really figure out where are they in their life now? What is the context they're in now? What is their, their aspirations, right? You talked about, and then if you can provide the access to them for some, for using those aspirations differently, then that ambition just turns into something really positive. So yes, even if someone's murdered someone, even if someone's done something that seems pretty atrocious, again, there's more to the story. So Aaron, no, I'd totally. love for you to, yeah, Aaron, you mentioned the uh, your conversation with the trucking company CEO, and you mentioned your organization um, that's created a, a like a trucking company of your own. I'd love for you to talk yes. a little bit about that because I love I love the angle of, hey, some of the things you know in, in that folks have done in their past actually are quite entrepreneurial, and yeah. I love that connection between you know maybe directing those entrepreneurial efforts maybe the wrong way to now mm-hmm. doing what you're doing and others like you who are kind of directing those those skills and and those initiatives more positively. Yeah, I currently um. I have a trucking company called U-Turn Transport and kind of play on the term U-Turn and kind of yeah, like turn, your life, turn your life Love around, it. right? And so I um, I hired an individual who I was actually incarcerated with and uh, he was incarcerated for a financial crime. But before that, I hired an individual who was uh, incarcerated for, for a drug crime. And these are some of the best people to work with. You know what I mean? They're, they're hungry. They have a, a zeal and a tenacity to... Uh, not only just prove it to themselves, but to prove it to to other people. And how I like to work with uh, my drivers, I like to give them a cut of the pie, right? So it makes them like a piece of ownership in a sense. And so I always split it, you know, uh, equitable uh, with the individual on the load. And again, to make them feel, you know, that hey, you know, this is this is kind of a, a partnership more so than um, I work for you. We're working right, together. Right. And because I, I know that a lot of people who are in the trucking space, eventually they want to go out and do their own thing. Um, and so that's why we also started the uh, the box truck course, where it allows for individuals to be an owner-operator, entrepreneur, without having a commercial driver's license. So we provide training for that that's led by myself and another individual who was also a former, who was also incarcerated, owns a trucking company as well and so we want to be living proof uh but then also at the same time provide the opportunity to be owners opposed to employees yeah i love it i love that I, i'm just like i have to tell you Aaron, i'm like i'm in awe like how do you how do you teach yourself to do this right it's you're out there mm-hmm. not only are you creating companies you're hiring people you're doing all of the things that an hr person would say a good leader needs to do right mm-hmm. um I'd love to just hear, I know that some of that 
obviously comes from your home life, right? Yeah, like you said, valued education. Some does yeah. come from college, but I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, one of the things I think of if people are out there on the streets getting sucked into maybe that life, there is a, a real sense of loyalty, right? To mm-hmm. each other and camaraderie. Mm-hmm. How does that translate then into this, into this work world that you've, you've created for these people? Yeah. Um, a lot of it, you mentioned it comes from the home life. It comes from um, just my, my education as well in college, but a lot of it came from what I learned on the streets, just being, just strategizing, just, improvising like working with things that I, that I don't have you know you see a lot of that incarcerated uh, you have to go without so you have to think outside the box and be creative um, and so I try to hire people that most people wouldn't hire because I see again you mentioned that loyalty right and believe it or not I can we have that camaraderie so we're coming from the same space so I can trust you right we both got a whole lot to lose right like I have to speak with your probation. Like, you know that what's at stake, right? I don't want to go back to prison, right? Uh, there's so many different compliances as it relates to the truck. And so we have to be on our A game, right? We can't mm-hmm. we can't slip up like someone who may not have a criminal background can, can potentially, you know, slip up and it may be okay. But for us, it could be catastrophic. Yeah. I think, too, I love where you talked about sort of the improvising piece because there are there are people who might be like kind of living on the streets right now right who have never been incarcerated yet yeah right yeah and and one of the things they can bring to your organization might be that street smarts that common sense approach which how often in any corporate world setting do we say someone has book smarts but they don't have they lack the common sense like this happens all the time like there you go like hire someone who has street smarts Right. Yeah. Who has that yeah. ability to improvise? Because I think that's what we see a lot of our hires don't have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then also being able to recognize the BS, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and, and other people, just the lack of a better term, is just like that discernment. You know, I can I can most likely I can I can have a pretty good read on a person within 15 to 20 minutes, right? If I spend yeah. enough enough time with you. Just because I'm, I'm consistent, I'm always thinking, right? I'm observing, and growing up in those kind of environment, it forces you to do that. You have to be able to recognize danger or some kind of a threat to survive. And oftentimes, like survival doesn't always have to be like imminent danger; just be like your emotional threat, you know. So just being able to to kind of pinpoint those things, and that's that's really um, that's really important in a, in a higher world. Hey, Aaron, the last thing, I'm sorry, Trish, (laughs) the last thing I I wanted to ask Aaron was, uh, uh, you know, for folks who are listening to this, and we've talked, like I said, we've talked about the topic before, and I I will continue to talk about this, and and the larger idea of of providing access to opportunity to folks who who maybe have been underserved in the employment market is, uh, but for someone who's listening to this, either they're the owner of a company, or they're an HR professional in a company that really hasn't proactively reached out to this community or this untapped source of talent. Aaron, mm-hmm. is, are there one or two things you would recommend for them to do? And they want to, they really do, but maybe they just haven't done it before. Is You mentioned engaging with prisons, et cetera. Uh, are there other resources you might recommend? Of course, escapingtheodds.com they can go to for a lot of information and, and, and yeah. find you, but 
you know, where do I get going if, if, if it's something that I think would be meaningful to our organization? I would say before even potentially reaching out to what is myself, a nonprofit organization or institution, a.k.a. prison, I would just study the system, the prison system, right? Just to kind of understand um, the history of it, right? And just understand, like, why there are 70 million individuals uh, with some kind of a criminal record, right? And tend to kind of lean more into, like, the context behind why a person may be incarcerated. And no doubt, there are some people that need to be there, right? Um, mm -hmm. But also, there are some people that were just in a situation and it happened, it was a one-time thing, and so we need to kind of look at that. So, that empathy, first and foremost, because as an HR, you know, or hiring manager, you're going to hear some some crazy stuff. And so you're going to have to, you know, kind of put your personal feelings to the side and really dig deep into that person. And so I would say start there. And then once you get a kind of a good understanding of what you're working with, that talent pool and the system surrounding it, then I would say to um, you be in a better position to have an intelligent conversation with someone like myself or um, an institution or a nonprofit organization. Great. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. No, you're wow. welcome. Aaron, thank you for mentoring us today in the audience. I mean, I really feel like you've opened my eyes in a lot of ways I have not thought about in the past. So mm. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your perspective on this. And I think that you will make a lot of people who listen to this truly think about how to not just change something for the sake of changing it for the organization, but to actually be a helpful human to other humans. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And and to to think of everyone in that way, because that's really how things change. That's how things are going to be more equitable is when we start just approaching each other on that one on one basis. So I really, really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thank you all for having me. And even the platform, you know, that you all have to to kind of shift the story. I know you speak on a lot of different topics as it relates to HR, but this is this is a really big piece that's missing. But at the same time, it's really needed. And so what you guys are doing are providing a voice and educating. And so I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron, for saying that. And we believe in it for sure. And it's like, and this is a great topic. We're all about hope, hoping to create a, a platform where people learn about creating access to opportunity for people who really need it. And it kind of makes you think, right. This is a really good one because it makes you really wrestle with a, like a really important question. I think Trish, which is like, do we really believe as a society, right. As, as, as a country, do we really believe in giving people second chances? We everybody says it, right. But do we really believe it? Right. And this certainly from the HR and employment world, right. Mm -hmm. Is one way to, express that you not just say it but you actually believe it yeah absolutely this this space and also housing as well is another big you know piece that's um you know kind of lacking that that inclusion so yeah yeah the other one I, I heard someone yesterday steve and i had a conversation with uh with two gentlemen where someone mentioned um food insecurity also plays a big role into kind of this overarching topic of why people might commit crimes, right? Mm. Like, so again, that goes back to look at what the person, the situation they were in, what what was it that they did? What rule or law did they break, right? Because it could have been for a very good reason. It could have been they had no food. It could have been they had no home. They had, right? 
there, there are just mm-hmm. reasons behind things. People don't just some, mm-hmm. I guess some, there are always someone who acts randomly. Right. But yeah. Uh, but for the most part, people have something that motivates them to behave in a certain way. So yeah, absolutely. Me- mental health, all of yeah. that plays a part drug abuse. And yeah. So all of that, so a yeah. lot of different variations. So to look deeper into it, look deeper. Yeah. This is great, great stuff. We want to thank Aaron Smith, escapingtheodds.com. We want to direct everybody there. Great stories. Great. Aaron's podcast is there. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, really good swag. I don't know if you check that out, Trish. Aaron's got some mm-hmm. good swag available on escapingtheodds.com. So I'm going to have to get <laughs> some of that. But uh, we do want to t- encourage everybody to check this out and to think about this issue. We're going to, we're not done talking about it. I'm sure we'll cover this again on the show as well, but uh, thanks to Aaron as well. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course, for all their support once again. And uh, Trish, uh, great stuff. Uh, Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, That's it for the show today. Thanks, Aaron Smith. Thanks everybody else. We'll see you next time. My name is Steve Bowes and bye for now. Bye.